Head to Macy's Backstage for finds you can't resist, deals you won't believe, and brands you love. And right now, new fall trends are arriving every week. So what's the season's big idea? Men's styles are not just for him anymore. Men's inspired looks for her are everywhere and we're all over it. Plus, we've got lots of red to add a pop of color to your look. You never know what you'll find, but you'll always find something. We're all about everything hot for fall. For info and locations, visit Macy'sBackstage.com. Hi, everybody. It's uh, Liquid Lunch here on ThatChannel.com. It's me, Hugh Riley, and I uh, have a special guest today, uh, Daniel Estelin, uh, joining us, uh, who's, uh, well, sort of from Toronto, but you're in Toronto screening the movie, The Bilderberg. It's called Bilderberg the Movie, right? It's called, thanks for the invitation, first of all, to the show. It's, uh, uh, it's been a long time. It's actually been eight years since my last visit to the city. And, yeah, it's called Bilderberg the Movie. Bilderberg is a... Is a very private organization which was founded in 1954 in, in Holland on the outskirts of uh, Amsterdam, this little town called Oosterbeek, and it's named the hotel, which then was owned by this, by some of the members of the Dutch royal family. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a book back in 2005 um, on the history of this very very secretive organization, and you know it sold gazillions of copies worldwide and uh, became an international bestseller. In, 68 countries has been translated to 44 languages and we just made a film uh, and it's uh, premiering in Toronto on Sunday the 17th of April and we have all the details it's going to be at the U of T um, we're going to put up some information at the end and show the trailer and stuff like that Okay. Um, but it seems I mean almost everybody I know knows <clears throat> about the Bilderbergs well they got me to thank for that <laughs> <laughs> I was I, yeah, actually that's what I was thinking uh, well you know the thing is that it's like you know for for years, we all kind of knew when you, when you, you know when you see coup d'etats and you know financial meltdowns and, and you know and, and things like prices going up and down and presidents and prime ministers being killed and and removed you know from office due to some political crisis or some shenanigans from behind the scenes, we always think of you know it's, someone is doing this to them. It's not like these aren't the laws or the forces of nature. Somebody is pulling the strings behind the scenes, but a lot of the times. You know, kind of um, thing that might be the Masons, the Jews, you know, the Illuminati, the you know, the secret society that you hear so much about, and all you're seeing, you know, James Bond-like films. But we never really knew who these they were. Mm -hmm. You just knew that this ephemeral they out there somewhere doing something. And then when my book came out in 2005, and it's called The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, um, it was released in September 2005, you know, suddenly these they had a name and face and their deeds became public and you know the documents were there and their deliberations and who said what to whom and how it was done and how these things were orchestrated and then you know suddenly people kind of woke up to the fact that these day are they, they actually do exist it's not some you know crazy you know Jewish Masonic conspiracy but it's you know these powerful men and women behind the scenes on the supranational level do move events in a particular direction and my book basically was the catalyst you know to make this a reality so we've had uh, we've had some Bilderberg meetings in Canada there was one a few years ago in Ottawa there was one in Canada that's right in, in 2000 and uh, in 2000 what year was that 2000 and and seven, uh, seven or eight, it something was, like that. But yeah. there was also one just north of Toronto in, in King, King City, City right? in 1996. Exactly, that's right. And that was a big one because um, they were discussing 
you know, the breakup of Canada, and I talk about it at length in my, uh, in my book and also in the documentary, Bilderberg the Movie. You know, the whole story of how I got, how I got into Bilderberg, you know, I come from military counterintelligence, uh, uh, Soviet and, and then Russian military counterintelligence. I spent 12, 12 years in, in Secret Service. And, uh, you know, back in 1992, just before they recruited me, I was having lunch, actually in Toronto, in a restaurant called Segovia, a restaurant, Spanish restaurant, just off of Young Street, uh, not too far from here, uh, with a friend of mine, uh, let's just call him Vladimir, you know, to call him something. And uh, this guy was the son of a well-known colonel in the KGB. And, you know, over steak and potato lunch, this guy, matter-of-factly, was telling me in 1992 what was going to take place in Canada in 1995. And he was saying things like, you know, Canada's going to, you know, they, they, these they are going to break Canada up into French-speaking Canada and, the, and, and English-speaking Canada, and then going to merge the English-speaking Canada with the United States. And I kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek said to him, well, why would they do that? He said, you know, uh, because some very powerful people in Washington needed to balance their budget. <laughs> well, okay, but that didn't happen. What it does that mean? It didn't happen, but, you know... It, it came very close. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not, again, when we're talking about these day, mm-hmm. it's not they have this magic wand and everything they touch, you know, turns to gold. To crap, depends how you want to look at it. Yeah. But the point is that uh, one of the reasons it didn't happen, because if you remember, there was something like 40,000 Canadians from across Canada got on the buses and went to Quebec and tried to convince the, you know, the, the Quebecois that we didn't want them to separate. Mm-hmm. That, you know, irrelevant what the mainstream press was talking about yeah. and the mainstream politicians, Canadians love people in Quebec and they yeah. wanted them to be part of Canada. And that made a difference. So that was a miraculous... It wasn't miraculous because, again, as a result of the meeting, Bilderberg meeting in in 1996, Mm -hmm. and all the stuff that I've learned in 1992, and I started following Bilderberg in 1993, because he told me the secret society or this private organization called Builder something or other, and it sounded really German to me. Of course, it's not German, it's Dutch. But the point is that when 1995 rolled around, and suddenly, you know, I forgot about this guy, I forgot about the incident because it's so kooky. Mm -hmm. Uh, Suddenly, all these characters... Began appearing in you know CBC and NBC and CBS and and you know these people from you know Reform Party and Partido Quebecois and regional parties and extremists from the left and the right and you know people I've never heard of before and I don't think anyone has and suddenly you know I thought to myself well, the Prime Minister of Canada the President of the United States were powerless you know to, to change the body politic itself mm-hmm. and these people you know had the, the, you know, the momentum to actually get on the mainstream television like CBC, like NBC, like ABC, etc., I said to myself, if the presidents and prime ministers don't really have much to say in this matter, who runs the world from behind the scenes? How is this done? Well, you know, and I've seen people have been publishing the list of the attendees of the Bilderberg meetings right. for the last few years. And, uh, and I re- remember a few names uh, of the Canadians who were on that list, and they include not only the, pol- you know, the prime minister... But the opposition leaders, big press people, I think Peter Mansbridge was on that Peter list. Mansbridge went, uh, I have photographs of him from the 2010 meeting in, in Sidges on the outskirts of Barcelona. He was there, that's right. And, um, and, and all kinds of people in the cultural industries. And, uh, and you wonder, and the other thing I've heard about the Bilderberger meetings is that they don't allow the attendees to bring their family 
or anyone else to these meetings. Only the attendees who are actually invited to the meeting attend. There are a lot of private organizations out there. Bilderberg is just one of the more elitist organizations. It was founded in 1954. And Bilderberg is basically a former NATO alliance, Western Europe, Canada, and the United States. Mm -hmm. Okay, You have other groups, such as Council of Foreign Relations. Uh, that's an American you know, brother to the Bilderbergs. That's only American attendees. And Council of Foreign Relations includes about 3,000 members. Bilderberg is about 120, 130 people yearly. Uh, then you have, council, then you have uh, uh, Trilateral Commission, which was founded by David Rockefeller, Zbigniew Brzezinski, and Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, back in 1973. And Trilateral is Americas, Europe, and Asia, thus Trilateral. Um, and uh, you have others such as, you know, Penai Circle, which was founded by, you know, one of the ministers in, in the French government back in the 1950s. You have the Bohemian Grove. You have the, you know, foundations, think tanks, um, uh, organizations such as, you know, Hudson Institute. Um, uh, these are the think tanks, you know, uh, uh, Hoover's uh, Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, MacArthur Foundation, um, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have the Club of Rome? Would Club that be of on Rome, that list? Uh, Club of Rome is it's, it's just one of the many organizations internationally working together to deindustrialize the world. But the point is, when you get all these groups together, and again, an important thing to understand when you're talking about private organizations and, and secretive, not secret, but secretive societies. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's like, you know, the subject of conspiracies. Mm -hmm. People kind of, you know, shy away from it. But again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. I was nominated last year for Nobel Peace Prize. I was also nominated for Pulitzer Prize in the United States for my last book, mm -hmm. which came out in 2014 called Transevolution, The Coming Age of Human Deconstruction, which talk about, you know, I create a model for the future of, of humanity based on space exploration, etc. So, you know, I've given speeches at the European Parliament. I'm um, senior uh, foreign policy advisor to three governments on the world stage. Let's just, you know, go into who they are. Um, I've, you know, just won the award for the highest journalistic award for investigative journalism in Latin America a month ago in Mexico. I've given a speech to the entire nation of Mexico, mm -hmm. you know, live from the Congress, Mexican Congress, to about 40 million audience. So again, I'm far removed from a conspiracy theorist. But it's, it's certainly true that when, you know, the things that you see on television, you read in the newspaper, and you read the mainstream press, has very little to do with reality. And so one of the things, one of the reasons why people read Bilderberg and discover this world, you know, the, of smoke and mirrors behind the scenes, the real movers and the shakers of, of body politics, then it kind of, um, it's kind of a jolt because, uh, you know, we've been taught that presidents and prime ministers, they decide the body politics, and then you have Congress and the House of Commons, they kind of follow through on that, and they decide on laws, but things really are not, you know, They're done. not governed. No, for, they're not governed. Because govern it seems almost every country, no matter what the people want, and no matter what government they seem to elect, the policies go in their own direction that aren't necessarily in the interests of the people of the country. They're never in the interests of the people. They're always in the interest of 1% of 1%. And let me just give you an example. And it seems like an internationalist agenda. Of course it is, because the super elite, that's not just something that has happened you know, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. it's been doing, they've been doing this forever. Now, how does that relate to the Soviet bloc or the, or the Russian today? Like, is Russia involved in any of these high-level... Uh, internationalist uh, what, what you have, like What you have is Russia is involved not in the sense that they're part of these organizations because, again, these are Western-controlled, spe specifically when talking about Bilderberg. Again, it's uh, um, Western Europe, Canada, the United States is former NATO alliance. You have the trilaterals, which are uh, America's Europe and Asia. But, again, Russia as a nation-state is not involved in a sense that it doesn't form part of this organization. Russia has always been the enemy, and so are the Chinese, which is one of the reasons why 
you kind of look at the world politics, you always see the Russians being, you know, the enemy of the elite circles. But the reason all of this is being done, if you kind of like, you know, really think about this, planet Earth is a small planet with limited natural resources and ever growing population base. There are seven billion people, or seven and a half, right? Whatever we are right now. Mm-hmm. If you kind of extrapolate this into the future, be it one generation or two, you know, you're going to go to 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever billion people. There's always going to be enough space on the planet Earth for all these people because seven billion people, space-wise, is not all that much. You can put all these people in the state of Texas. I yeah. mean, you're not going to be very comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to say that you have a lot of space on the planet Earth for a lot more people. But what you don't have is you don't have the natural resources, you don't have water, and you don't have food. De- in fact, Yemen is the first country on the, uh, on the planet Earth which has literally gone dry. They don't have one... Uh, 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 liter droplet of water. See, if we had free energy, we could have all the water we want. We could desalinate the oceans Well, the point is is that, again, the elitists don't need that. They don't want that because, again, what they realized long time ago and what most people don't is that the progress and development of society is directly proportional to population density. So if you have technology, if you have development, if you have progress, you're going to have a lot more people because we're going to have a lot of wealth. Mm-hmm. But the elitists don't need 20 billion people on a planet because mm-hmm. we'll be eating their natural resources mm-hmm. and eating what they consider to be their food. Mm-hmm. So for them to survive, and I say them, it's again 1% of 1%, most of us have to die. And that's one of the reasons why you see, again, as you said, one thing is what the governments want, it's, one, it's another thing what the people are asking for. And the de- you mentioned deindustrialization. Well, we've certainly seen that in the U.S. and Canada, right? It's, you know, deindustrialization, demand destruction, zero growth. And if people want to understand what, what these terms mean, look at Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, for over half a century, it was the, the, the engine of economic growth in the United States. Mm-hmm. And today it looks like something out of the Hollywood film with Will Smith, I'm legend. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have the zombies, but you have everything else. I think you do have zombies. You have zombies. Well, now you have the zombies. There you go. <laughs> okay? So the, so, the, so the point is that if you kind of look on the world stage, this is exactly what they've been after for a very, very long time. And you mentioned Club of Rome. That's one of the reasons for being, you know, raison de ser. Of, of Club of Rome is exactly this Malthusian you know, concept of deindustrialization where you apparently have this limit to growth, but you don't have a limit to growth because you have, again, we're talking about progress, development, technology, et cetera, et cetera. And the more we have, the greater we are as a mass of population, the more capacity we have to discover universal principles of nature, which improve the lives of everybody on the planet per square kilometer of space. So do you think it's possible? So they've got this agenda, This basically they want to depopulate. Right. Well, depopulation the is, is not a means to an end. It's just one of the points. Okay. So my question to you is, do you think it's possible for us to, instead of that agenda, to have an agenda that actually is able for every country to, to kind of set up situations that are work in the favor of the citizens that are able to feed them to create an economy that serves all the people of the earth and and can we not feed and and provide a decent uh, living conditions for seven billion or more people on the planet absolutely we can and we definitely have the means to do that but again if you're the elitists you don't need seven billion people or 10 or 20 billion you just need enough people to do what they need for us to do some menial jobs and the rest of us you know, they don't need to have 7 billion people on planet Earth. Is there any hope of overturning that agenda? I think there is because, again, one of the things that you see today with technology, especially smartphone technology, it, you know, the, the communication, look, you and I are here in the studio in Toronto on Bay Street, and whatever is done being recorded right now, it's instantaneously going out there live. Mm-hmm. And people in Japan and in, in Latin America and Vancouver, Canada, you know, in Sydney, Australia, 
can watch this and pass it on to their friends and the friends of their friends, you know, instantaneously in a millisecond, what we've done in Toronto in this studio is available for everybody to see on the entire world stage. And that's a very big advantage. It's one of the things that, again, there's lots of ways we can win this war. But one of those important ideas in actually begin to turn tables around on these people is people have to realize that this is real. But this is some mm-hmm. crazy conspiracy theory. There's a lot of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And the elitists have been doing this for thousands of years because if you're going to go back to the ancient Egypt 6,000 years ago, mm-hmm. who controlled Egypt? Mm-hmm. This weren't the pharaohs. If you think of the pharaohs way back then, it would be like the, you know, the, uh, the presidents and prime ministers of today. Mm-hmm. The people who controlled Egypt and the knowledge way back then were the, uh, uh, the high priests. And it's they who gave us knowledge one little droplet at a time, just enough knowledge for us to get by you know, day to day to day. And these, all those high priests today live in Switzerland. So that really hasn't changed a lot much. So these secret societies, very secretive private organizations, have been dying, doing this for a very, very long time. But again, one of, the, one of the advantages that we have today is technology. We have to make sure we use this technology you know, to improve the lives of people. On so the do you have any suggestions other than the fact that we're sharing this information now, we're increasing awareness, but do you have any idea about specific strategies individuals or groups of people can take? to turn the agenda around? One of the, again, one of the most important things is to understand that we've got to remain nation-state republics, free countries with our currencies, with our borders, that what you're seeing on the world state, this, you know, deindustrialization of the world economy, that's being done on purpose. Mm-hmm. Again, one of the reasons that they're doing this is the need to depopulate the planet Earth, and the way you do depopulate the planet Earth is by deindustrializing the planet, because if you have 7 billion people, and then you have 10 and 13, 15, whatever, you're going to get to a point in the development of society where unless you have the technology necessary and, uh, and, and development, you can't sustain life on the planet Earth, and so the population base is going to collapse. So we have to be very, very careful and insist that the governments whom we elect be presidents or prime ministers, mm-hmm. work for the betterment of our society, which means you cannot deindustrialize society. You have to make sure we have technology, high technology, high-end technology, industry, development, work towards the conquest of space. We have to have excellent education. And all the things that you see in the United States and also in Canada and Western Europe, such as common core education, which is garbage. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the opposite of that. They're doing the opposite of that. And again, the people who run the world from behind the scenes, they're brilliant. They know exactly what they need to do. You don't need intelligent people. You don't need people. They're brilliant. They're a small group, so it's easy to organize, and they've got all the funding necessary to implement they got their all, plans. Exactly. Right? They have all the money, but there are 7 billion of us on the planet yeah. Earth. So we do have the power, and they're very afraid of us because there are so many of us. It's just a question of this general awakening taking place on the world stage, but there's just simply not enough of it because, again, one of the things that the elitists have done over the years is that they've convinced us that what you see on television, yeah. on the CNNs, on the Foxes, you know, the Toronto Stars, the, the, the Wall Street Journals, etc., is the truth. And everything else, consequently, has to be a conspiracy theory. And so that's why often people say to me, what you're saying is it's, it's just, you know, just mind-blowing, but if that's the case, why is it not on the cover of New York Times? It's not on the cover of New York Times, because the mainstream press forms part of the uh, globalist elitist circles. Yeah, of course. These are the people, New York Times, the Washington Post, you know, Le Mans, The Economist, Wall Street Journal, all of these mainstream publications, CBC, they all attend Bilderberg Conference, yet you will never hear from Peter Mansbridge mm-hmm. on anything that takes place there, because again, they're prohibited making this information available, which is one of the reasons I think this film will really make a big difference in, in our concept of understanding reality of what actually goes on behind the scenes. So are, is there, to your knowledge, anyone from the Soviet or the, the Russian uh, sphere of influence or, the chi- or ch- China 
in attendance at the Bilderberg meetings? They do have people who attend, but they don't attend as representatives of governments, but rather traders of their nation state. You have Grigory Yavlinsky, who for many years attended Bilderberg Conference. He's a member of the Yabloka Bloc, which is a neoliberal, uh, pro-Western um, block, and actually he just announced a couple of months ago that he's going to be running for president in the next presidential elections again, Vladimir Putin. He has zero chance of winning because 90% of Russian citizens vote for Putin, mm -hmm. and it's not a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a democracy. Mm -hmm. It's just the, you know, the Americans can't accept the fact that 90% of a country could vote for a particular leader because they agree with their policies. So anyway, so you do have individuals such as, you know, Yablinsky and a few others, uh, but again, they don't represent the interests of the Russian government. They work for the interests of the Western elite circle. And one of the people who actually attends quite often is uh, Garry Kasparov, mm -hmm. the former Soviet chess champion, and now one of the leaders of the this opposition bloc, anti-Putin, who actually lives in New York and doesn't live in Russia. So can I ask you about, I want to ask you about, I know you wrote a book about the Tavistock Institute. Yeah. And um, uh, for people who don't know, I mean, this, you know, one of the things that's kind of funny when you, you, when you hear about the Tavistock Institute is that uh, some people say that the Beatles were actually a project of the Tavistock Institute and that Theo Adorno Theodore actually Adorno. wrote all the Beatles tunes. He didn't write all the tunes, but he certainly wrote enough of the tunes. And I've seen, I've, I actually infiltrated Tavistock. Okay. Yeah, and... Uh, um, and I was able to do that because, uh, you know, again, I come from military counterintelligence, so it's, I went to London, and I infiltrated, and I got in right into the heart of it where they have all the documentation, and I found the documents. We yeah. actually have, it's, it's not, they aren't the songs, but these are the things that Adorno was talking to some of the other people in Tavistock, talking about like several years before Beatles were you know, created as a group. Before the Beatles. Before, were he, create, before Beatles existed. So what was he saying? Well, he was like they were talking about you know the the whole idea of, of of projection, the whole you know the whole concept of the British invasion, yeah. The terminology itself, it's not like the British invasion mm -hmm. itself, is the fact that if you kind of you know look at the world stage, uh, people say that you know American Empire, American Empire doesn't exist, it never existed. The only empire that exists is the British Empire. Right. And when you're talking about the British invasion, it's the invasion, it's the invasion of the mind. And yeah. what Tavistock Institute is all about. It's, which was founded back in the 1920s, the Tavistock Clinic. Then after the Second World War, Rockefellers got really involved, gave a lot of money, and Tavistock became, uh, you know, an, uh, an arm of, of of the Rockefellers and turned into a Tavistock Institute for human for human relations. And uh, it's 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 an organization based in London, whose main you know reason for being is to change the paradigm of society. Yeah. You know, from you know society based on the ideals of classical Platonic and Socratic culture into something what we are today. If you kind of look around at what we have become a society, this degenerate society, easily controlled, easily uh, 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 um, manipulated, this has always been the idea because it's much easier to control a society with people have absolutely no uh, uh, sense of, of, of their worth, of value, mm -hmm. constitution, loyalty to a nation state. So, so what was the idea behind... Like, what was Theo Adorno's involvement with the Tavistock, and whose idea was it to create this, and, and what was this project really designed to do? If, you kind of, if you're talking about the Beatles, if you're talking about rock and roll, if you kind of go back, you know, to the 1960s, for example, we talked about the hippies. That's a good example. You know, the whole idea behind it was to deindustrialize as part of the deindustrialization mm -hmm. of America. Mm -hmm. Because, again, in the 1960s, you know, with us Americans going to the moon, 
American children suddenly didn't want to be baseball players or football players. They wanted to be, you know, scientists, engineers, astronomers. And if you're the elitist circles, you can't have this progress and technological development for the reason we just discussed. Mm -hmm. So you needed to deindustrialize society. So again, if you can create this whole idea of if society, you know, degenerate culture, introducing the drugs, uh, no future generation, you're changing the paradigm society of something which has a future you can look forward to. So instead of having young people who want to become engineers, you got young people who want to become hip-hop artists, yeah, right? And, and, but, but not so much hip-hop and the druggies yeah. and the hippies, which has, you know, and, and in the book, the Taoist Tag Institute, I discussed, you know, the whole project of, uh, of Monterey and, and Woodstock and how that was put together and who paid for it. And, and, and it was a, just, you know, this giant social experiment where, you know, they literally drugged half a million people. <laughs> so which songs did Theo Adorno write of the Beatles? Mm. I don't remember right now because, um, I mean, I wrote this book like seven or eight years ago, but uh, um, I remember the, uh, the uh, I can't remember. I can't remember right now. I Am the Walrus? I can't remember. I mean, the Beatles were one of the least favorite <laughs> bands, and you know, but uh, um, I got to look it up. I can't remember. Okay, but it's so, I mean, the Beatles are a phenomenon. No other musical phenomenon. Well, of course they are. I mean, that's the You know, the before or since, and, and so... It's almost like, uh, was that really all uh, a, the product of this this institute? It's not. Again, it's not. It's not. You know, it, when you're talking about private organizations or the secretive societies, the idea is that you have this four old geezer sitting in a you know dark room, underground, holding hands, staring at a crystal ball, planning the world's domination. The world is not like that. Mm. But you create the paradigm, you know, mm -hmm. and then within this particular paradigm, you can change reality, mm -hmm. and then it kind of takes on a life of its own. Do you know what I mean? If you're talking about Kent Casey and, uh, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, if you're talking, which is, again, which part of this Tavistock experiment, if you're talking about Woodstock, if you're talking about Monterey, if you're talking about the hippies, if you're talking about the deindustrialization process itself, you just create the paradigm and let the, you know, the individual characters run their course. Yeah. It's easy to predict what these people are going to do. And that's the whole, that was the whole point behind all the things that the Tavistock Clinic and all the trials and experiments which they put together. Now I know you only got a couple of minutes left here, but so we've so where do you think things are going to go next? You got the Bilderbergs, you got your Tavistock Institute, you got these other organizations, and you've got a, a increasing awareness among people, and yet you still have this elitist agenda that's being put forward in governments all around the world. Where, where do you think things are going to go next? Well, one of the things right now we're looking at, which, uh, and that's one of the things I'll be talking about after the film on my conference is. Um, for the past 500 years, the economic model has been, it's called central banking warfare model. And that's been up and running for the last 500 years. And what the elites are doing right now, they're destroying this model. We talked about this in the beginning of the interview, deindustrialization, zero growth. So they're destroying the world's economy on purpose. But while they're doing that, they're creating a new uh, economic model. That economic model is based on space economy. And if you kind of look around you right now, everything is going to space. You know, you have satellites, telecommunications, you know, GPS drones, uh, Alibaba, you know, that uh, public offering when it was the biggest public offering in history. And what you're seeing right now is what we've had for the last 500 years is being destroyed 
a new model is being created, which is based on space-based economy. So who basically controls lower space orbit where all the satellites are, mm -hmm. controls all communications on the planet Earth, which is why the Russians, the Chinese, the Americans, you know, the Indians, the Japanese, the French, et cetera, et cetera, you know, NASA, European space agencies, they're all going to space. And so you have the new model using uh, your smartphone as a technological prototype and societies without money, you know, cashless society, which I don't know if you've been paying attention, but they're talking about, you know, eliminating $100 bills, 500 euro notes. But that just means more centralized control exactly. and less personal freedom, exactly. right? Exactly. That's the whole point, what we're seeing right now. You said, where is this thing going? It's going to that. So, that, of course, we know that's what they want to do, right? But you're suggesting that we need to maintain nation states and then national currencies rather than a global currency? Exactly, absolutely. We have to make sure that we stay in nation-state republics. And that's one of the reasons, one of the things you're seeing right now is uh, the elitists are trying to create this one economic model for the entire world, which is why you know, they need to destroy Russia, they need to destroy China. They're destroying some of these uh, South American economic blocks, Alba, Thelak, the BRICS, they're trying to you know, dismantle that as well. You're seeing that that's being done in Brazil. They're trying to change the government you know, through orchestrated mm -hmm. in a coup d'etat there by eliminating the, president, the legitimate president of, of Brazil. That probably is not going to work because there's a lot of pushback from a lot of these very powerful nations, historical nations such as Russia and China, mm -hmm. okay? But they're certainly working towards that objective of creating this one, you know, global, not global government. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with one world government. It has more to do with the concept of one world company, limited corporations that have a lot more power than any government on the planet. We're seeing that right now. Plus course. the decisions can be made behind closed doors rather than... Exactly. That's yeah. the whole point. And so, again, people have to understand that what is being done, you know, the background to the whole story is mm -hmm. one model which has been up and running for the last 500 years called the Central Banking Warfare, Warfare Model. That's being dismantled and a new model is being created based on space-based economy. And if you control that, you control everything on the planet Earth. So these are the things people have to understand. And all these other things which are happening right now as far as, you know, change our, you know, our currencies, removing large bills, taking interest rates to negative rates as well, which is one of the ways to take money out of people's hands, mm -hmm. you know, destroying nation states and creating this large world blocks, which is part and parcel of what the elitist is trying to do. And no matter what governments are telling us, uh, you know, the, the, the press agencies and, and publicists, people have to understand that the background to everything we're seeing on the world stage is that destruction of one economic model and creation of another far more powerful from a globalist point of view. We have to do everything in our power to fight that on the one hand, and on the other hand, insist that we have technology, high-end technology development uh, to make sure that we stay in nation states and avoid being Detroits of this world. And if you look, you know, in Europe, Spain, Greece, uh, Italy, <coughs> Portugal, the Baltic nations, you know, the Balkans, all Soviet stands, Middle East, Africa, they're all like Detroit, a lot worse than Detroit. Because, again, the economic model and the prototype of the list is Detroit. Deindustrialization, demand destruction, zero growth. We have to make sure we go in the opposite direction. The more technology we have, the better off we're going to be, the stronger we're going to be as nation states. Okay. Well, listen, thanks for coming in today Thank and doing so this. And people, of course, can see the film uh, this Sunday, yep. right? Sunday, April 17th at the JJR uh, McLeod Auditorium, U of T. Tickets are $30 in advance, and you can buy the tickets at Strange Planet. Dot, uh, dot ca or conspiracyculture.com and um, do you have a website or something you want to give easier uh, probably the twitter at estulin daniel at estulin daniel okay and we're going to show the trailer now okay and uh, people in toronto can uh, come on out this sunday and see the film
And thanks again, Daniel. Thank you. Yes, we can win this war, but the first step necessary for actually winning is to know what the war is. Imagine a private club where presidents, prime ministers, international bankers and generals, shoulders, and where the people running the wars, the markets, and governments say what they never say in public. of saving banking institutions, which they saved temporarily, they were effectively taking unpayable debt, huge quantities of unpayable debt, and transferring it from private corporations to governments. Well, the primary goal is to defend the status of a unipolar world. And the paradox of this project, of this supranational European project, is the least popular it becomes with the people, the bigger mess it creates, the more power they get at the center. It's a war against a concept of man which is evil. Sally Beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home. Get everything you need to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty.